everyone, this is Pastor Dane Johansson from Agros Reformed Baptist Church. I am coming to you tonight to do a little devotional out of the back of the Reformation Heritage King James Version Study Bible, produced by Reformation Heritage Books. General Editor is Joel Beakey. I know many of you who attend Agros or are members here have this study Bible. So if you want, you could actually open with me to the back. It's on page 1918, so page 1918. It's the articles in the back on Christian living. The title of this one is Godly Contentment. So I figured I would read through it with you and offer some comments as we go along. But I found it very enriching to my soul. I've read it a few times since I've had this Bible for the past few years. And it's uh, it's something that's often neglected. We don't think much about it, the Christian grace that is godly contentment, being content in our circumstances with an eye to Christ and an eye to God who works all things for our good, for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have trusted and by whom we are saved. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before thee. O Lord, we thank thee for thy grace. We thank thee for thy mercy, for thy blessings, which thou bestowest upon us in such great measure. Lord, most importantly, the grace and the blessing that is our salvation in thy Son, Jesus, Lord, and also the gift of thy Holy Spirit, which thou hast given to us, which thy Son, Christ, has sent to us from thee, O Father. And Lord, we thank thee for thy mercy, thy watching over us and all of our circumstances. God, please teach us to be content in thy providences and what thou hast seen good to give us from thy hand for our benefit and for thy glory, O Lord. Please, God, increase our faith and draw us nearer to thee through this study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Godly contentment is the name of the article. It can be found again on page 1918. Godly contentment. So again, I will read through. Maybe we'll flip to some of these scripture references. I've jotted down a few notes of things we can talk about as we read this article together. It opens like this. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, part B, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Is this not the Christian's distinct calling and wonderful privilege? That is, to have and to demonstrate true contentment in life. Now, I think it's interesting that the author of this article, whoever it was that uh, Beaky had write this, uh, mentions that it's our distinct calling and also our wonderful privilege, meaning that not everyone is called to this and also that not everyone has this privilege. And what is that privilege? To have and to demonstrate true contentment in life. We not only have it, it's not only accessible to us because of who Christ is and what he has done for us, but also we are to demonstrate it. It's a command, it's a calling, which we are given to show that we are content in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're content in whatever God sees fit to give us, that when the Job's wives of this world tell us to curse God and die for our present circumstances, that we say, naked I came from the womb and naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Let him do what seemeth good unto him to do towards me and towards this world and towards all circumstances. Um, that That's our calling is to not only know and believe that that exists and that we should have it, but also to act upon it. It's our calling. It's our uh, commandment to do this very thing, to have godly contentment, to exercise it and not only believe in it. It's uh, one thing that we stress a lot at this church and which the Puritans stressed and uh, modern people like Joel Beakey and others stress and it's, it's important to stress is that we want to have doctrine that is for life, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge that overflows into everything that we do. So we not only want to understand that godly contentment is a command, but also to then act upon that, to demonstrate true contentment. It's a choice that we make to look at the doctrine that God is in control of all things, that his providence orchestrates and orders all things, and then to trust in him because of it, knowing that he works all things for our good. We can memorize that verse, we can say that verse, we can preach that verse, But we have to then live that verse and act upon it, stand upon it as the promises of God in our lives. So the article says, is it, is this not the Christian's distinct calling and wonderful privilege that is to have and to demonstrate true contentment in life? They say, see, for example, Hebrews 13, five. So I'll flip over there really quick. You can feel free to flip over there with me. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What does he mean by this? He says, let your conversation, meaning what the King James means when it says conversation throughout the New Testament and throughout the scriptures is your lifestyle, how you behave, your behavior, your conversation, how you carry yourself, how you conduct yourself, your lifestyle. Let your lifestyle, the the choices you make, the things you say, the things you believe, how you act, be without covetousness, meaning be without constantly wanting after more. I don't have enough. I wish I had this thing or that thing. I need something. I, I have lack of of some thing that then causes me to not trust in the present circumstances I'm in. He's saying, don't let your conversation, your lifestyle be such that you're constantly coveting after more and be content. He says, so godly contentment with such things as ye have, what God has seen good in his sovereign love and mercy and wisdom to give to you. Those things which he has given to us, which we now possess, the things in our lives, the people in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, we are to be content with those things which we have. And then he goes on to quote a scripture and he says, for he hath said, and then here's the key to Christian contentment, to godly contentment, and to being content with whatsoever things that we have, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the key right there to all Christian contentment, all godly contentment. The key to it is knowing that God has told us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So the article will go on to talk about that a bit more, but that is the key to Christian contentment, to godly contentment, to being content in the things which we have and not constantly lusting after other things, coveting after 
after other things. But being content in our present circumstances, the key, the crux, the sum and substance of that is knowing that God is with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we possess God. We possess him, meaning he's given himself to us. We didn't climb up into heaven and take him. Rather, he's given himself, his very being to us as a gift, as our inheritance. We now are co-heirs with Christ. We are united with Christ. We are sons and daughters and children of God through Christ. What more do we need? What more do we want? We have want of nothing. We lack nothing. And so that's the first example they give. They see, they say, see, for example, Hebrews 11, uh, or Hebrews 13, 5, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and then Psalm 37, 4. I also thought it would be helpful to make a few brief comments on that, on Christian contentment, godly contentment. Psalm 37, verse 4, the psalmist who is David, says, Delight thyself, so giving us a command, an imperative, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Well, what will the desires of of our heart be if we desire God? If we delight ourselves in the Lord, Jehovah, then our desires shall be for more of Jehovah, for more of the things of God, for God himself to be near to him, to be his children, to dwell in his courts. It is better to spend a day in the courts of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. It's better to be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than to be a, the richest king in all of the world, in all of the universe. That, that's what the psalmist says constantly. David says that throughout the psalms constantly and similar other things. So he gives us a command, which again is the key here to godly uh, to godly contentment is delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. When our heart is in accordance with God and his will and seeking after him and desiring him, then he will give us more of himself and that's what we will desire. My heart longs after the Lord, my heart pants after God. When shall I come and be come and appear before God? That's Psalm 42. We see that same thing. David says, "My heart panteth after the Lord, thirsteth after the Lord like a heart thirsteth for the water brooks. It's an animalistic and almost violent description there. Anyone who's been hungry knows that hunger can kind of be ignored. Thirst, on the other hand, cannot be ignored. You know those moments where you'll jump out of bed thirsty in the middle of the night and you'll drink anything. You'll drink from the faucet. You'll drink some old Coke can that's been sitting there for a couple days. You'll drink whatever. Everyone's had those kind of moments where the thirst is so overpowering that you are just reaching and grabbing and longing for your thirst to be quenched. And so too, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we'll, we'll pine after him, we'll desire him more, we'll thirst after him. So back to the article, they're kind of setting up the tone with some of these scriptures as to what they're going to go on to talk about. Then they ask this question, do you know and glow with Christian contentment in life? <coughs> Excuse me. They say, do you know and glow with Christian contentment in life? It's kind of an interesting turn of phrase there, glow. So people would see it on our face. Our very countenance would look as those who have been in the courts of the Lord that have dwelt with the Most High God. So that's pretty pretty interesting. That's that's good. That's something we should long after. That's something we should desire, something we should uh, work for, is that when people see us, they'll say, wow, I see it on that person's face. They're glowing with contentment. Though the world around them seems to be falling or 
though most people are kind of dreary walking around just getting through life, this person exudes joy. They're glowing with contentment. So that's kind of the idea they're going for. And who wouldn't want to, to be such a person? They go on to say, and this is the second paragraph, Christian contentment is not only a, quote, embracing of the providence of God, end quote, as one put it, but even more fundamentally, an embracing of the God of providence. Now, that is profound, and that is, again, key to godly contentment, as we saw in the scriptures that we looked at. Not only embracing the providence of God, meaning we see God's providence as hand falling out in our lives, as playing out in our lives, the things that are occurring to us, the things that we have, the things we possess, the things we do, the doors God opens in our lives for job and family and friends and acquaintances and what have you. Not only embracing all those things and saying, these things have come from God's hand. This is from his providence, and I accept these things and will trust in the Lord in these things. That, that's, that's part of it. That's good. That's a good start, is what they're saying. But even more fundamentally, they say, godly contentment, Christian contentment, is an embracing of the God of providence. So not just the providence of God, but the God of providence. Again, delighting ourselves in the Lord God, coming to him, feasting upon him, desiring him, and dwelling with him. That is the key to Christian contentment. Goes on to say, Vilhamasa Brockel, famous uh, Dutch Puritan who wrote Christian's Reasonable Service, four volumes, states in this helpful chapter on this subject, in his helpful chapter on this subject, the contentment is, quote, not a mental determination to keep oneself satisfied, but a, dis- but a disposition of the soul. The stronger faith is, the greater the contentment with the will of God will be also. And that's, again, very key right there. It's not a mental determination to keep ourselves satisfied, meaning we just, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, so I know that I have to put on my faith mask, right, and just pretend like everything's hunky-dory when things are not. It's not just you work up within yourself some sort of, I'm going to be content, and I don't really know why. I'm going to fake contentment. I'm going to just... Hey, everything's all right. People ask you, how are things going? Oh, you know, as the Lord wills, you know, people aren't shoveling dirt on top of me. So I guess today's pretty good. So is, is the standard that you're not dead and that, that means that things are good? Well, no, we shouldn't have that. And it's not something we work up within ourselves is the point Brockle's trying to make. It's not a mental determination to keep oneself satisfied but a disposition of the soul, something that's wrought within us, something that's worked within us when we, when we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. It, it starts within our soul. It's not some mental game we play to try to figure out how to be content, but rather a disposition of the soul. It's part of our new nature as new creatures in Christ. He goes on to say, excuse me, he goes on to say, the stronger faith is, the greater the contentment with the will of God will also be. So it actually comes from faith, and faith has worked in us how? Well, by God, by the Holy Spirit. But faith is still something that we must do. We must act on faith. We must live by faith and not by sight. So though it's God's work in us, it's a disposition of the soul, yet we must act on faith. We must actually come to Christ. We must we must actually come to God and rely upon him and feast upon him. How do we do that? Well, some of the things we do, some of the ways we do this is through reading the scriptures and coming to the word 
empty and opening it up and cracking open that ancient book and saying, Lord, feed my soul, feed thy servant through thy word. Teach me thy ways. Teach me thy statutes. Show me how to delight in thee, O Lord. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for thy namesake. We do it through prayer and the word and other means of grace. So the stronger our faith is, the greater our contentment will be because we're believing upon God. We're trusting upon God. We're, we're resting in his promises and not just in a way that's, hey, I'm a Christian, so I know this is what I should do. But, hey, I'm a Christian, and this is what I love to do. I love to rest in my Father's home. I love to rest in my Father's will. I love to embrace the God of providence, and not only the providence of God. Not just sitting back and saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it. This is the providence of God. This is the will of God. This is what I got, and that's just how it is. These are the cards that are dealt. But, no, embracing the God of providence, saying, thank you, O Lord, that these things that thou hast put in my life are the things which thou hast seen good to put in my life and is for my good and thy or my good and thy glory O lord that's that's more what it means probably they continue on contentment is not to be found in having favorable circumstances and many possessions but is but it is found in the triune god alone by living in union and communion with christ and in obedience and service before the Lord. They quote Psalm 23, so we'll turn there in a minute. Let me make a few comments here. Contentment is not to be found in having favorable circumstances and many possessions. I mean, we all know that that's not going to do it. You can't be content in simply the things that you have, whether they're favorable or not. But when we have good things, we possess good things, enjoyable things, we possess good circumstances, yeah, it's easy to be like, well, the Lord is great. God is good. Praise the Lord. When things are bad, it's much more difficult. And it's in those times that we should still be content because we're embracing the God of providence and resting upon him. <clears throat> they go on to say, but it is found in the triune God alone, not, not in circumstances and possessions, by living in union and communion with Christ and, and in obedience and service before the Lord. So let's turn briefly to Psalm 23 here that they... Reference, Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, the most famous psalms. <clears throat> Just look at it in light of obedience and contentment and union with God. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that leads me. He's the one that guides me. And then David says, I shall not want. Contentment, godly contentment, demonstrated right there before us. I shall not want. He makes me lay down in pastures. He leads me to the things that I need. And then notice verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So you see union. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me, so he's with me. Then also obedience, acting upon that contentment. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So that's how... 
We are to do it. Contentment is not uh, does not rely upon our circumstances being favorable or our possessions being many. Rather, it's dependent upon our union and communion with Christ and our obedient service to him. Let's continue on. The lie of Satan, this is paragraph 3. The lie of Satan, as told in Genesis 3 and replayed in history ever since, is that contentment can be found apart from God. Remember in the fall of man in Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve and, and thus to Adam as well and saying, you don't have what you need. You're not content. You think you are, but you're not. If you tasted of this fruit and your eyes were open and you were like God and you knew good and evil, then you'd really know. He, God just doesn't want you to have what he has. So you need more. Don't be content in your present circumstances. Take more. Take what is not offered to you because that's what's holding you back from your full potential, your full reality, the full enjoyment of contentment in this life. That's what Satan comes telling us. And so that lie has been propagated ever since Genesis 3. The lie that contentment can be found apart from God. They walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. They communed with him as one man does with a friend, face to face. And yet Satan was telling them, yeah, you think you're content, but you're really not. Contentment can be found apart from God. And that's the lie that is still propagated by our enemy today, is that contentment can be found apart from God. They then go on to ask, have you seen through this deception of the devil for yourself? I think if you're a Christian, we all have at certain degrees. Yeah, we've probably fallen into it a bunch of times. I know I have. We've all fallen into that trap thinking that we can be content uh, outside of God, apart from God. But we've also, if you are a Christian, have overcome. We are more than conquerors through him which loved us. So we've all also overcome that lie and come through it on the other side, possibly fallen into that lie, thinking, oh, I need to find these things to make me content outside of God. And then we get to the other side of it, having worked for food that does not nourish, that does not satisfy, and then coming out the other side with that food that did not satisfy, emptier than before, realizing our error and our folly and our sin, going, Christ is the only thing that can make me content. He's the only joy for my heart, none of these other things. So we've all seen through it at some point. We have to have if we're Christian. They go on to say, This ungodly world is experiencing the miseries of countless forms of discontentment and fading dreams, living in rebellion and unbelief before God. Remember in 1 John 3.17, says that the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Also, Jesus told his disciples and thus us that what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's better to lose yourself so that you may find yourself in Christ. And that is godly contentment. The, the world's passing away. The desires, the lusts of the world are passing away. They're gone. They're here today and gone tomorrow. A house is here today, gone tomorrow. A, a you know, family is here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, anything you can imagine in this life is here today, gone tomorrow. Life is a vapor. It vanisheth as soon as it appeareth. So we know that contentment, true contentment, cannot and does not come from anything outside of God. <clears throat> and so the world is, the ungodly world, they're saying, is experiencing these miseries of jumping from one unsatisfying thing to another, one thing that can never satisfy. And that's why Jesus tells us to feast upon him as the bread of life, 
all other bread, all other supposed food and, and satisfaction cannot satisfy our thirsting, longing, groaning, sinful souls. Only he can. And so we must come to him. And that's, again, key to Christian contentment is putting, embracing the God of providence and the providence of God both. <clears throat> uh, they go on to say, confessing Christians should shine forth the gracious fruit of peaceful contentment in our restless world of rampant murmurings. That's beautiful. Do you let your light shine with the grace of contentment even in dark and difficult circumstances? Even in dark and difficult circumstances. I mean, that's a good question, one that we should all answer. It's easy to say in times of blessing, in times when you feel close to God, your prayer life's real strong, your devotional life and reading the scriptures is really strong, you know, you've been able to win some people to Christ and share the gospel. You've seen God using you and working through you. Man, in those times, when you got, you know, a lot of things that you don't deserve that you that you now have by God's providence, and they're good and you love them. You've got family, friends, and good job, etc. Man, it's easy then to be like, God is good, right? We talked about that earlier. But they're asking, do you let, and you can even put in the word still, do you still let your light shine with the grace of contentment, meaning it's a gift of God, even in dark and difficult circumstances? Well, not always, right? It's harder. That's when faith matters. And that's when we have to not only embrace the, because you're not going to be content if you simply embrace the providence of God. What do I mean by that? If you simply just, this is God's will, let it be, whatever. You know, there's no joy, there's no peace. You're just, you know, what am I to do? I'm just some dead dog. He's going to do to me whatever he wants, but he has the words of eternal life. Where am I going to go? Obviously, I can't leave him. I'm a Christian. So whatever, do what you want, God. That's not contentment. That might be embracing the providence of God, but that's not embracing the God of providence. And that's the key to Christian contentment. And that's what they're trying to get at. So in the dark and difficult circumstances, are we letting the grace of true peaceful contentment shine forth out of us. Well, that can only be done as a grace of God, and we must come to him begging him for it, asking him for it, knowing that he'll give it to us when we ask. It comes through a life living in prayer, living in the scriptures, <clears throat> living, seeking his face. They're going to go on and talk more about that. This is the fourth paragraph down. I'll try to speed up a bit, make less comments. Christian contentment is learned as we genuinely and constantly look to Christ the Savior of sinners, in spirit-worked repentance and faith. So it's learned as we genuinely and constantly look to Christ, the Savior of sinners, it, it, by God's grace, we then have repentance and faith. And so discover what a graciously complete and completely gracious Savior Jesus is. I love that. He's graciously complete, and he's completely gracious, our Savior Jesus Christ. <clears throat> they go on to say, as Brockle, uh, Brockle from up above, as Brockle put it, quote, <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have the all-sufficient one as your salvation, are you then still in need of anything else? Is he not better to you than a thousand worlds? Therefore, speak and practice what the godly did. And he quotes from Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a profound statement. It's a profound comment from Brockle. If you have... Meaning, if you're truly a Christian, this, this then concerns you. This is true about you, or should be. If you have the all-sufficient one as your salvation, are you then still in need of anything else? Boy, that'll, 
that'll really close your mouth up quick, won't it? When you're complaining and murmuring about your present circumstances, what else do you need, Christian? You have the the all-sufficient one as your salvation. What else do you need? What else do you lack? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He asks, is he not better to you than a thousand worlds? Oh, that he was, dear Christian, right? Oh, that he was better to us than a thousand worlds, than to have a thousand worlds worth of all of the luxuries that this world, this fleeting passing world can offer to us, all of the glory, fame, honor, possessions, money, riches, pleasures, a thousand worlds worth of that. Is he not better to thee, oh dear believer? That's the question we have to ask, and that's the question he's asking. And our heart, if you are truly a believer, I know mine does, not perfectly, but I know mine does. When I hear things like that, man, I'm lit on fire for Christ. I I desire him. I want to run after him and, and find him and dwell with my Savior, who is to me, though I only see it dimly, as in a mirror, darkly. I don't perfectly comprehend it. But he is indeed to me better than a thousand worlds worth of treasures. Therefore, Abraco goes on to say, speak and practice what the godly did. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Lamentations 3.24. Remember the, the context of Lamentations. It's actually just part of Jeremiah. It's not really supposed to be its own book. It's the ending to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah's uh, book, the book of Jeremiah. It's the ending. And Lamentations is then Israel's response to being utterly wiped out. Their dead bodies lay in the street. They were disobedient to God, and God finally brought destruction on them and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the all of who they were, their identity, their culture, their people. The, the women were were cooking and boiling their own children to, to nourish their, their bodies and, and the bodies of their families because they were starving from the siege. They were eating their own children. They were eating the dead. Feces and, and uh, it says excrement and blood and, and, and gore was all across the city streets. They were in dire circumstances, fire raged, and they were destroyed, utterly undone. And yet, what do the godly in that place say? The Lord is my portion saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. So it was not uh, dependent on their present circumstances, obviously. They were not happy with their present circumstances. They were, their present circumstances were horrible. However, they said, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. So that's the key. They had contentment in God because they rested and trusted in him. They hoped in him, and he was the rest for their souls, their portion. Next paragraph, paragraph five, Jeremiah Burroughs, a uh, English Puritan, wrote similarly in his classic, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, quote, a Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul. He is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength that he finds from Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is, dear believer. There's the key to contentment in this life. Go out of yourself and to Jesus Christ. Your strength for godly contentment cannot come from yourself. Your strength to overcome sin, 
Your strength to have faith in your present circumstances. Your strength, period, cannot come from yourself. It's only in your weaknesses, only when realizing you have weakness and that you are nothing but weakness, that you will find strength for what? Christ's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we embrace our weaknesses, meaning we see it, we recognize it. Listen, somebody else is going to have to lift this for me. I need the strength of another. And so we go to the out of ourselves, Jeremiah Burroughs says, to Christ from whom we draw all of our strength. That is key. I mean, that's worth meditating on for a long time. Anyway, next paragraph. Paragraph six, they ask, do you affirm and demonstrate that while looking to Christ and abiding in him and his word under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there is no reason for any discontentment whatsoever, but only for true and growing contentment. They're asking, do you demonstrate that? That when you really truly see Christ as he is, that he is our strength, he's our portion, we embrace the God of providence and not just the providence of God, that you're enabled to bear whatever God lays on you, that there then therefore is no reason for any discontentment whatsoever, but only for true and growing contentment. You have to rebuke yourself. Preach to yourself, dear Christian, when you're start when you start murmuring, you start hearing unbelief coming from thee. When you start hearing unbelief coming out of your lips, saying, My present circumstances are no good. They're horrible. I don't have what I want. That may be true. You may be enduring a very hard time. You may not have the things that you want physically in this world that may be true and you can offer that up to god and pray and lord this is hard but to murmur against him needs a severe and sharp and immediate rebuke and this is a great one you say to your soul is there really any reason for discontentment whatsoever in you no there isn't you should only have growing contentment because the lord is your portion you have god the one the all sufficient one as your salvation what else do you need the lord is your shepherd dear soul you shall not want and though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you shall fear no evil for he is with thee he leads thee carries thee on they go on to say paragraph six The good shepherd calls his people to confess my cup runneth over in praise and honor to our triune God and in in anticipation of heaven to come. Are you demonstrating this holy, happy contentment at home, school, church, and work? What areas in your life can you grow in by having and showing Christian contentment? Well, all of them. Personally, I need more contentment in everything. I am a man blessed beyond all measure. I think about that so often, and not often enough. And those things can become a snare. Literally everything, everything I need, and everything I want even. There's nothing I can think of even in a worldly sense that's not sinful that I, that I want, that I lack. I have, I have everything. I have so much, and yet the flesh rises up within us, right? Rises up within me. And I need to have more contentment in the things that I have and my circumstances and who I am. And that can be a number of things. Marriage, you know, somebody's single. Oh, I wish I just had a boyfriend. I wish I just had a girlfriend. I wish I was married. If I was married, then all of my discontentment would go away. I would finally have, you know, this, this one blessing in my life. And I would feel so, so thankful to God, so grateful to God. And my problems would melt away. Not so, not so, dear friend. Marriage will not fix your problems. Christ alone is your strength and your portion. You know, if I just had this job, if I got this new job, if I had enough money, my finances were better. If, if my schooling was done or I could get into the school I wanted to or I could 
pass these classes and I was getting better grades, if I could just attain this next goal at school, then I'd be, I'd be, I'd be so good. I would have no problem trusting in God. I'd praise him and his praise would pour out of my lips in front of people as a testimony to his greatness. Well, no, it should now. You should be content in God now. That's a rebuke you need to offer to yourself. Spiritual growth even, and, and this is key to getting, you know, to growing deeper in your spiritual walk with Christ and growing nearer to Christ, is that, man, if I just was closer to Jesus, things would be better. That's true. But don't be discontented in that. Rather, be thankful for what God has revealed to you so far and what God is doing for you now and has done for you. Thus, go to God even more for contentment. There, that's an easy fix, right? If I just had the skills, if I had the recognition, if I had the position, the position or the possessions that I want, then things would be good. No, they wouldn't. We always will lack contentment. We'll always be coveting after something more. The lusts of the flesh will always rise up and they're never satisfied. They can only, our, our, our soul can only be satisfied in Christ, not by listening to the sweet wooings of our flesh saying you need this or that. No, we must cast that down and run to Christ and have contentment in him. All right, last two paragraphs. They say, to move us from discontentment to contentment, the Savior calls us to, quote, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Psalm 81, uh, verse 10b and then verse 16. To move us from discontentment to contentment, we need to come to God, open up our mouth wide and say, Fill it, O Lord, with whatsoever shall please thee to give to me. Fill me with those things by which I shall praise thy name, those things which are good for me at the season of my life, and I shall serve thee, love thee, and, and dwell with thee. Not, not things we can fill ourselves with, not the forbidden fruit by which we'll know good and evil, but rather those other trees, all the other trees in the garden that God has given us to feast upon. Feast upon those things which God in his providence has given to thee. And by doing that, you will come to the God of providence himself and feast upon him. Difficult, but true. Not easy to do, but practice it. Put it into practice. Demonstrate true contentment in life. They end this way. Praise God who will lead his people in endless and everlasting contentment. Thank you, Jesus. All honor to him, our Savior God, from whom all blessings flow, including real contentment. Consider what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you enrolled in the school of Christ for the gift and prize of Christian contentment? The God of all comfort still welcomes more students in and through Jesus Christ. Then they quote 2 Corinthians 8.9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Amen, right? That, that is an amazing article. That's why I've read it multiple times. And the Puritans talked a lot about Christian contentment. It's something that we don't talk about much anymore. At least you don't hear talked about very much anymore. And gee, I wonder why. Because that's difficult. Those are some severe words, but life-giving words. To be satisfied in God alone, what a joy. Oh, that Lord, thou wouldst give us that, right? We should be praying and seeking thee, O God, and, and, and coming after our Lord and Savior, the all-sufficient one. For he shall fill the mouth that we open unto him, crying out, saying, O Lord, fill me with thyself. Be thou my portion and my blessing. Let us, uh, 
let's practice this and put it into practice, dear church. Let us seek after God and those things that he has for us and be content, not just in the providences of God, but in the God of contentment. Amen.